did that. Put him in the aisle. It's a shotgun snap. Final play of the game. Ron waiting for the wideouts to get downfield. Launches the throw down toward the goal line. Going up. Ball tipped in the air. Touchdown. Gordon Westerkamp. Nebraska wins the game on the final play of the contest. Back to throw is Martinez. Now being chased, throws it out. A flat. Burkhead makes a catch. Sits a tackle. 25 20, 15 10, 5. Rex Burkhead. Touchdown, Nebraska. What is going on, everybody? Thanks for joining me here on a surprise Church of the Corn. Uh, we got college football today. We had college football on Thursday. We'll break that down here in a little bit. But I have a special. Special, special guest joining me today from Buckeye Nation, the premier Buckeye fan in the country, I think, my favorite at least, Buckeye Fett. Fett, what's going on, brother? Thanks for joining us today, man. How are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, man, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been a fun couple of weeks. We were planning on doing this a couple of weeks ago, but of course, you know, time, time, uh, time changes and time differences kind of got in our way there, so... We're really glad to have you, man. It's going to be fun. We're going to talk about it, football today. Um, yeah, it's fuck it. Let's just jump right on into it, right? We got so much to talk about. Uh, we've we made it through the off season. We made it through the off season. We're finally done with that shit. Uh, I'm no more so, conference. <laughs> dude. I'm I'm so sick of the best college football helmet debates, the best oh, uniform God. debates, posting random highlights from 2012 in the month of May. It's over, man. We we got a full slate. And you know what? Considering how, how dry us college football fans have been over the last, you know, six, seven months, mm-hmm. we have, starting Thursday, we have a five-day slate on our hands here. Oh, my God. It's incredible. I told the wife yesterday because, you know, obviously we stayed up and watched the game on Thursday night, both from Florida, Utah, and Nebraska, Minnesota. Um, and I told her, I go, we got five days of football. We're all the way till Monday. And she goes, what? I go, absolutely we have got football until monday we are getting spoiled every single day and there's a ton of good games across the board too way too many we have a Um, great slate that's what i was gonna say how are you gonna watch them all are you do you got a multiple screen set up are you a tv laptop you know what what are you i've actually i've been rolling with the multiple tv setup but i mean on twitter i've been hearing nothing but good things about youtube tv really i'm hearing the the split screen uh, abilities on that thing I hear is second to none. So I actually might have to give a, give a look into that. Yeah. I mean, anything that makes watching multiple games easier for me, I'm always in for. So I might and have even, to look into that as well. And even Thursday night, they, they made the Utah game and the Nebraska game both at eight o'clock. Yeah, that was uh, – I mean, I was like, come on now. We can't g- – give come me on. one at seven, give me one at eight, so at least I can catch one at halftime. Spread them out. Yeah, especially because you got one in Salt Lake City. I mean, if you think about it, I roughly kicked about five p.m. their time. Move that yeah. to a move that to a six or seven p.m. kick for us here. Spoil us a little bit on opening football night. Yeah, especially because these games are now way shorter, and even the scoreboard is kind of starting to show it. Well, and, and that's the crazy thing about it. When you watch the game, you noticed that the play on the field was shorter, which is bullshit. But you noticed the game still felt as long because of commercials and everything else they slid in there. It's it's way too much. I cracked a joke on Twitter a couple couple months ago where like 
way too often. I felt like the Big Ten championship game last year was, you know, probably the worst, you know, all season where, you know, team team, you know, they they started off a commercial. They come back, kick the ball off and then go right back to commercial. Exactly. It's it's almost like uh, so I've been watching on uh, I think it's HBO Max succession. So literally it'll will stop at a certain point. When we start the show back up, it's literally about 15 seconds of show and goes straight into commercial. So it, my bad, it starts with commercial, 15 seconds of show, and then commercial. So that's what it feels like watching college football now. It's starting to take away from, like, just enjoying the game because you know you're about to get bombarded with fucking 50 commercials about boners. Oh, about yeah. Boner and, posts, you know what I mean? Like, come on now. Give me a fucking break. And there's so many people now, you know, games have gotten so expensive where, you know, watching at home comfortably in your living room is, I think, a lot of people's uh, go to in terms of watching a game. And you're stealing them of their their best amenity, which is kind of the the TV aspect. I mean, you, know? you got to think about, it, though, it makes sense because go. I love going to a game. I'm, I'm sure you've been to plenty oh, of Buckeyes games yourselves. You know, you get to experience the environment uh, of the horseshoe just like we do in, in Memorial Stadium. Like that atmosphere and the ambiance is, is unprecedented. There's nothing like it. But it's also really comfortable watching an away game at your house on your couch where you could not have to pay for food, not have to pay for beer. You know, you've got all your necessities right there. It is a lot more convenient to watch a game from home anymore. And they got to do something to make it competitive to go watch a game as opposed to sitting at your house and streaming the game. And you know what? They're not helping themselves as these prices for tickets, you know, on the yearly basis are just going up the ass. Oh, it's insane. It doesn't stop. Um, I, I will say I'll give Nebraska credit for this. So coming off the Nebraska, the uh, Scott Frost tenure, they did not raise tickets. I don't believe for Matt Rule under his first season. So I mean, you got to give him credit there. You had five losing seasons, six losing seasons, and you, you didn't raise tickets. So I think that's a good thing. It shows at least you're giving the fans a little bit, and not much, but a little bit at least. And you know what? It's it's to the best fan base in college football. I'm actually I'm a heavy believer that that sellout streak means something. You guys are you guys are hard, as hardcore as any fans in the country. You know, for for better or worse, we stick with our team. Um, and, and you know, you've seen it. Uh, should we just? Uh, you want to jump into the Minnesota game? I mean, we talked about we wanted to break it down. You know what? I was I was waiting to peel the band. <laughs> we'll, we'll rip that son of a bitch right off. All right, uh, let's get into it. The, speaking to the best fans, uh, were you surprised at how many Nebraska fans were in? the uh the stadium thursday night am i supposed to say yes <laughs> i kind of was i'm gonna be honest with you i was shocked at how um how how blatant it looked because you just seen splashes of red you've seen a lot of yellow minnesota fans showed out but i was kind of shocked that it was so blatant that there were that many nebraska fans considering the distance for any other fan base i think you definitely have a solid point you know how you husker fans travel that's true. <laughs> They're going to go from Minneapolis to Colorado in a few weeks. So right. <laughs> it is what it is. They're, they better get those frequent flyer miles ready to go this year. But it, it, it was kind of wild. Uh, you you heard it on, on television that it wasn't necessarily as much of a home field advantage as you would have expected with it being a, a gold out crowd. You actually heard the, the Minnesota offense having to combat a little bit of noise, which was kind of interesting on the at home. And that's a uh, you know what as a you know as the the Nebraska football team that's a that's a great thing in your back pocket to have such a passionate, well traveling fan base that 
they're going to ride with you wherever you play. Uh, agreed. That's that's one of the things that they can't take advantage of. Um, and, and I feel like previous coaching staffs and, and, and administrations have. They've they've 100 percent taken advantage of the Nebraska fan bases. Um, you loyalty. Know, loyalty and willing to ride with their team. Um, they, they, it's been it's been far too much leeway at this point. But the good thing is, I, I do feel like they they've got the right administration with Trev Alberts um, and and then Matt Rule. Now, ripping the Band-Aid off, Thursday sucked at the end. But there was a lot of good to be taken from it. And I know that sounds apologetic to us or, you know, apologist at some point, but it's not. The best way I can describe it, Fett, if I were going to send you to Italy, because I'm going to take a trip to Italy next year. So, Fett, let's say you're going to take a trip to Italy, okay? And uh, you don't know how to speak Italian, do you? Oh no, I do not. I'm a one one language speaker. Perfect. Then this will be a, this will be a great uh, example. Then, so let's say I gave you six to eight months to learn Italian, right? Yeah, I gave you Rosetta Stone and all the other ones, Babel, and you know I'm giving you all the tools to succeed. But then when you go to Italy, the first person that you have a conversation with, it's not out of the book, right? They're no, going to no. ask you some questions that you haven't heard before. I'm with so, you, man. So to be fluent, game one is like going to Italy after studying. Italian for six months and expecting to be fluent in Italian and have a conversation. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. And I, and I can totally relate as, you know, Jim Knowles going through his first year as a defensive coordinator last year with Ohio state, um, you know, his system, it, it took some time for those guys to really kind of lock in. And, you know, like it's, it's really the same thing. Like it's, you can't teach, you know, all of that in such a short amount of time. Absolutely. It's, 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 and Jim Knowles is a mad scientist, by the way. So that was a huge pickup when Ohio state got him. That's, that's, that's a, that's a playoff uh, pickup when, when you get him. But with that being said, you can't just switch a system overnight, like a light switch. That's not how it happens. You're still dealing with individuals. You're still dealing with with people. And if you switch from one scheme to another scheme, doesn't necessarily mean that the bodies are going to fit. It just doesn't. No doubt. Um, and, 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 you know, that's that's what we had seen on at on Thursday night. You know, on the on the defensive side of the ball, I was impressed with with defense. Um, oh, I thought were, I thought the Husker defense was flying around. I thought the linebackers looked great. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, they were we, they were flying around. You and know, that, and the crazy thing is that was without a starting linebacker too. Uh, Nick Henrich was down with an injury, but I think they looked better with Bullock in there and Reimer. I mean, it's been a while since we've seen Husker linebackers kind of fly around with reckless abandonment. We'll say. And I think you're right. And I think as a as a Husker fan, you know, kind of going through the positives of that game with a fine tooth comb, you have to recognize that because that's a that's a huge step. You know, getting that side of the ball where it needs to be is I think it's a huge part of the puzzle. And that's honestly, you know, as an Ohio State fan, that's the part of the puzzle that's kept us from, you know, possible national championships over the past couple of years. So you get, you know, you get the defense going. Now it's about the O and now it's about, you know, those, those red zone opportunities, those first and goal opportunities. And, you know, instead of coming away with three points, we're, we're cashing in seven. Absolutely. Then that's the difference between winning and losing a game, especially when it's not the macro things, it's the micro things at this point. And that's why, that's why these games are close. It's not because Nebraska is getting out talented on the field. They're not. I mean, they beat, they had Minnesota down the entire game for the most part, excuse me. Um, but they let the little things beat them. Turnovers. You can't turn the ball over. 
even a team as talented as Ohio State, with as much talent as they've got, five stars across the board, if they were to turn the ball over four times against a team, it's still going to be difficult for even them to beat a team. Even a team as is, is, uh, lackluster as Minnesota was on offense, it's still hard to beat a team when you turn the ball over four times. You're giving them four extra chances to score. Yeah. That's, that was where Nebraska really killed themselves. Uh, it was bad decision-making, but also let's we got to give Minnesota some credit here. I mean, that, that secondary, especially Newbin, Newbin had two picks. That's a first-round safety in NFL draft next year. Yeah. Dude, um, the, the the Minnesota secondary look look good. The even the the D line, I felt like Sims was was pressured all night. He was really he was running for his life. And even kind of looking through the stats, you know, even after the game, seeing that Sims had as many rush attempts as he did pass attempts is concerning. Scary. That's it's concerning. You know, and honestly, he ran the ball well. I think he think he picked up 90 yards on the ground. Yeah. He ran hard, took some took some hits where I was, you know, a little nervous he was going to get up, came right up. But I don't know in the Big Ten, I don't know how how much he's, you know, how long that's going to last. Yeah, I don't think it's a recipe for success considering the guy, I don't believe he's finished a full season at quarterback because of how he plays. You know, he's a tremendous athlete. Great athlete. But I would, I, we, you got to figure out a way to get that running game going. Uh, if, if you can't run the ball and Sims is, is your primary running game, I don't know if he makes it through the first four game stretch, let alone to Michigan and beyond. I, I don't know if that happens. And that's where I think it's it's up to Matt Rule to, you know, you have to put your guy in better situations than that. Absolutely. You know, I didn't I didn't love how he threw the ball Thursday night, but again, I I kind of thought that Minnesota front four was was pressuring him all night. Yeah, I I think Minnesota did enough to considering last year, I think their leading sack guy had three and a half sacks. They were getting after Sims pretty well. I think that's a combination of the offensive the offense not uh, essentially being able to run the ball or being able to stay on track for the most part. You've seen when they were able to run the ball and they were able to get into second and, and manageable and third and manageable, they were able to keep drives going. They could they could move the ball. It's just there there seems to be uh, a lot of inconsistent factors at this point. I don't know really what they are. I can't quite put my finger on them. And I also don't – I'm confused on the passing game concepts at this point. I don't really know what they want to do. I know they want to run the ball. That's great. Obvious. But I don't know what they want to do in the passing game at this point. I do I do believe they kept a tight end in most of the game to help the right tackle, which is why I believe we saw uh, almost no tight end targets, if we've seen any at all. But I believe that's the reason they did that. So and and you know, I'm a I'm a half, you know, glass half full kind of guy. Um, I, I ironically before the game even ended, probably when the Huskers probably had a I think it's still a 10-3 lead before that game-tying touchdown. I tweeted out something, you know, I think Husker fans are going to love Matt Rule. I think he's extremely likable dude. He's he's built programs other other places. I think Rule's going to be great. I really do. And, you know, you and I have spoken about that, you know, Mm -hmm. over the offseason and, you know, what I really think about him. It's it's game one, and he's he's totally – he's flipping – you know, a, a team system into, Absolutely. you know, his own style. And it takes time. It does. And, you know, I, I really feel like uh, the biggest thing about Thursday night loss is Matt rule is being crucified for the mistakes of Scott Frost at this point, just because Scott Frost had this many close losses doesn't mean it's going to happen to Matt rule as well. Now it could, ha- it is, it, 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 could it happen? Of course it could happen, 
But I don't see – I feel like there was a lot more missing under Frost than there is under Rule at this point. Once again, it's game one, a very small sample size. But if we see the traditional jump from week one to week two, which is when you see the biggest growth in a team, week one to week two, that's when you're getting that film study. That's when you're seeing your mistakes live for the first time. If I see a jump to the, in that Colorado game, I feel like we should all feel much better about what we've seen in week one. I don't feel like Minnesota is a bad team. I feel like that's somewhere between a seven and five and a nine and three team still at the end of the year. Heavily, really uh, easily one of the most underrated teams in the West. And, and to see Husker fans are shitting on them right and left, saying they're a three and four, four win team. Guys, I realize we know what a three and four win team looks like, but it that's wasn't what it. Minnesota looked like the other day. That, that's still going to, that's a seven win minimum team. They're going to win under Fleck. He's got that system going too well. I just, I'm, I'm with you. They're, I can't argue with Fleck. The, the, the entire West, I think, is it's really interesting this year. And I feel like we say this every year about the, the West, just how open it is. Um, I think Wisconsin with Fickle is going to be great. You know, you have Iowa now with their kind of rebuilt sort of <laughs> offense. Whatever the hell that is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, the, the West is going to be interesting. It's, it's going to be interesting to see who plays Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, it, it really will because it, you really have no idea. I feel like there's four teams that, from the West that could make it. You've got Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, and and um, Iowa, Minnesota. Purdue in there. For, yeah, I mean, shit, yeah, whoever you want to put for that fourth one in there because it, it really seems like it's going to be a, a battle of who can get to 9-3, and three, I feel like. If any team gets to 9-3 and three out of the West, they're going to win it. And I what's like crazy is I, out of each other. I think Fickle has a chance to win 10 games in his first season. He could. Fickle is such a weird, um, not not so much Fickle. Fickle, I feel like, is a Midwest guy, but more the Longo fit. Uh, I did a breakdown on his time at uh, going all the way back as an offense coordinator, and I feel like it's going to look similar to what they did in North Carolina. Um, not so much under Drake May, but previous when they had really good running backs, Javante Williams and Michael Carter, I believe when they ran the ball 60%. What, of the time. what a duo that was, man. Oh my God. Absolutely incredible. And, and you're seeing these guys in the NFL and they're still tearing it up. Williams coming off an ACL, but like that, uh, that duo in college is one of the better ones I've seen in quite some time, just freakish. And they, I think they had like 35 plus touchdowns. It's, it's insane. It's, and that was without pretty- like quarterback. It's pretty it's pretty impressive considering, you know, North Carolina isn't a, you know, isn't the football program that it is the basketball program. And, you know, a few years ago, you know, even their receivers, you know, they had Diami Brown. Yep. Uh, they, had, they had some dudes. Absolutely. You know, and it, Sam Howell's, a, you know, now an NFL starter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's impressive what they've been able to do over there. So. I got a question for you. I'm not sure. I actually, right before we came down to start the podcast, I actually had Shane Beamer and uh, Mac Brown together on the college football game day. And uh, they were interviewing him and everything. It was really cool just to see those two together because it's two completely opposite spectrums of the coaching tenure. You've got one that's at the end of his tenure, one that's closer to the beginning. And just the way that they were kind of chopping it up back and forth was really cool to see. But um, speaking of North Carolina, have you been following the Tez Walker situation with the transfer waiver and such? I have, and it's um, it, it's a shame what they're doing to him right now. I cannot believe that they're running that kid through the glass like they are. 
for absolutely not. And and the big t- and the NCAA is supposed to give a fuck about the athlete. Come on now, you you can't even lie to me. You can't even lie to my face and tell me that anymore at this point. And this is where it's sad because you know moves like this really go to show you where the interest of the NCAA is. Absolutely. I mean, you, you see a lot of guys and, and I don't feel like he's taking advantage of the waiver at all because I believe he didn't play for two seasons and he's transferring to be closer to home, to be closer to a family member for a health concern. If, if that, I believe that's, that was my kind of read on it. And you know what, especially the, the power of social media nowadays, there's mm-hmm. been such a backlash, you know, you and I are on, or on that damn Twitter app every single day. <laughs> Dude, the 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 responses from people, it almost makes you wonder, like, how is the NCAA not bending a knee? I feel like at some point they are going to have to, just because the public backlash at this point is going to be so much. And I am so proud of that kid for sticking up for himself, putting out the the information that he sent to the NCAA. Um, and, you know, obviously there's certain things he didn't include because he mentioned in there, it is a public letter. I'm proud as hell of that kid for standing up for himself. And I really do hope that this is one time that social media does something good and forces the NCAA to essentially bend the knee to him. And he was tested out week one, but hopefully by week two that he's, he's eligible. He can get back in there. And even, even in a different, different conversation with, you know, conference realignment and, you know, you keep hearing about these other, you know, um, non-football player athletes. Mm-hmm. I'm talking the softball players of the world. I'm talking the women's soccer players of the world the field hockey players that are also now, you know, the, the West, the West schools, you know, West, the soccer players over at UCLA now are in the big 10 baseball players are in the the big 10. It's the travel schedule. It's it's insane. Going to be insane. And, you know, you've, you've read probably so many athletes on different social media apps kind of, you know, stating their concern about, you know, mental health concerns and mm-hmm. nothing. Cause you know what? It's, it's never been about the athlete. That's what it's about at the end of the day. Unfortunately, it's the almighty dollar and the NCAA has, has, has proven it on multiple occasions that, yeah, we'll say the right things or we won't in, in public. What are you going to do about it? Well, now the good thing about it is with conference realignment and everything, I feel like the NCAA's power has shrank dramatically. And honestly, I feel like, let's see, it's 2023. I wouldn't be shocked by 2030, 2035, if there's just essentially two major conferences. You've got your top 64 teams in Conference A. You've got your lower Conference B with your bottom 64 teams or whatever it is at that point. I wouldn't be shocked if it were. It's that's moving where that way. That it feels that way, at least. Yep. You've got your major conferences, and then you've got your minors, essentially your power, and then your group. And then that's what you've got. And then you figure out structurally how to figure it out. But then that takes away all the power from the NCAA, which I'm fine with, unfortunately. It's a give and a take. Needs to happen. And it's uh, it's even wild what's happening to the Pac-12 right now, which I believe is now down to two. Yes, the, the Pac-2. The Tupac. <laughs> I mean, it's smart, though, because, hey, all you got to do is beat the other team and you've got a playoff spot. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. Although I did have someone ask me last night, and I, I apologize, I, I didn't get to respond back to this, but someone asked me, why don't the Pac-12 and the Mountain West merge under the Pac-12 banner? I mean, it's not a bad idea. I guess what it really comes down to is, what is the Mountain West making money-wise? Because I know Pac-12 was pennies at this point compared to every other conference. And it's also, it's it's all deciding, you know, which teams you 
want to welcome into the power five and which teams don't belong in the power five. Exactly. It's it always, you know, it, there's always been the thing of the haves and the have nots who are the haves, who are the have nots. And I still feel like to some degree, the power five schools do not want to have any of the have nots anywhere near them. They want them to be as far away as possible. It's not good for revenue. It's not never, good for revenue. Never has been. No, I mean, it, it, let's 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 put say a Boise State for instance. You, Boise State's a winning program, and we'll talk about them here in a bit. But does Texas and o- Oklahoma really want to be associated with a Boise State, or do they want to be associated with an Alabama and a Georgia? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's name brands that want to be associated with name brands. They don't want to be associated with a lesser than. And unfortunately, you have conferences like the Big 12 and the Pac-12 where you have some teams at the top that um, brand revenue wise, they carry the pack. Absolutely. You know, there's there's a reason why, you know, the only two teams picked out of the Big 12 were the highest revenue grossing teams in the country out of the Big 12. You know, like. I mean, you're not going for no offense. I've got a buddy that's a Kansas State fan, but no offense. You're not going to grab Kansas State to take them to the SEC. There's just not enough revenue. There's not enough eyes on Kansas State to make that a worthwhile move unless you get Kansas State plus Oklahoma and Texas. You know, it it just doesn't, unfortunately, make sense eyes-wise. I got a question for you. So we we, we watched the Florida-Utah game. Were you shocked at how, how discombobulated Florida looked on Thursday night? Frankly, I thought I thought the Utah defense, uh, another defensive unit on Thursday night that just played their balls off. And I you know, know what? Um, it, all these SEC fans and even just more in particular Florida fans, you know, talking the, the way they have about Graham Mertz yeah. this offseason. Oh, it's wild. Oh, it's wild. <laughs> it was ugly, man. It was ugly. But you know what? It's it's the year 2023. It's the year that. SEC teams go to the Big Ten to go get a mid uh, mid QB to save their program. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. Here, here's my problem with it. So we, you, you've gotten to watch Mertz. I mean, you watch Wisconsin football. I watch Mertz as well. He's a talented kid. You can't say he's not. He can throw the ball against air really well. But you can't have you can't you're not you'll never win a game with him throwing 44 times, which he did, and then they only ran the ball 21 times. And Mertz ran eight of those. So he did not have the ball in his hand 13 times. That's a recipe, a recipe for a loss. That You're going to lose every time. It's, you can't put the game on a quarterback, especially a quarterback that like Mertz. It's almost like putting it on Martinez's shoulders previously where you know he's got a, a history of turning the ball over at bad times. You got to give him some help to take some of that pressure off. You can't play hero ball. It was, dude, it was, it was really rough to watch. After, after game one, I know it's only year two. You think Napier seats getting a little warm down there in Florida? You know what? I do. I considering the brand of the, you know, the program that Florida is, I think even as an Ohio state fan, you know, I'm licking my wounds after two, you know, back-to-back rival losses to Michigan and I couldn't even imagine being a Gator fan right now. Oh, yeah. That's... Where your program was 10 years ago, where your program's at now, where your arch rival is at now, Ugh. this team has to be warm. I mean, the only way I could compare where Florida's at right now would literally be like, you know, Ohio State, Michigan. And it would be like Ohio State being a 
just getting annihilated by Utah and Michigan coming off their second national title in a row. Like that's about the only way I can compare that right now. Moral of the story. Once you start to feel bad for yourself, there's someone out there that has it worse. Absolutely. I I love that thought. So um, speaking of somebody that has it worse, let's talk about Colorado and TCU. Uh, I, I don't know what to expect in this game. I've, Never seen a roster uh, roster turnover like 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 Dion's doing. I'll give Dion a shit ton of credit though. Uh, dude's charismatic. He's won a lot of games. But what what do you have any thoughts on this game, or is it or is it even one you're going to check out? You know what? Um, even with all of, factor, even with all <laughs> even with all of the media attention that that Dion's getting right now, um, you can't look into the hype. And you think you have to look at him and his work this year the same way that you look at Matt Rules with Nebraska. He's a first-year head coach. Mm-hmm. He's going through a, a complete roster overall. And it's going to take some time, you know, for that for that bus to really get going. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think at the same time, uh, TCU is, I think, a little bit of a, a disheveled – not mess, but yeah, they're do everything they lost last year. Mm-hmm. It gives Colorado a little bit, a little bit of a chance. Yeah, and it's, there's a giant, I think it was like a 17 point spread or 14 point spread at one point. Oh, I think we lost fat. No problem. He'll probably jump in here in a couple of minutes. Um, yeah. I, I think Colorado at one point was a 14 point or 14 or 17 point dog. Uh, oh, there's fat. All good, brother. We got no you. No idea what happened. Keep going. Nah, it's, it's all good. I fig- I figured StreamYard did that. So you're all good, brother. Um, like I said, 14 or 17 point favorite. I don't see that. There, there's a lot of uh, TCU has a lot of unknown. Now, granted, the quarterback that's starting for TCU was originally the one that beat out Max Duggan last year. Uh, so he is back healthy. But one of the big things that we're not talking about is they lose Garrett Riley. That's a huge loss at offense coordinator. Now offense coordinator at Clemson. I think that's going to be a bigger loss than than it than we think. I don't know how that offense is going to look. I don't think Colorado is going to win, but I think Colorado may keep this game a little closer than people think. Uh, Maybe I, in the I, first half. I think um, I think TCU probably pulls away in the second half once things start clicking. But dude, I will say one player I cannot wait to watch up close: Travis Hunter. Yes, uh, I, I believe Travis Hunter, they're, they're, they are playing in both ways from what I've heard, uh, receiver and cornerback. So if he can do that, and if he can do it at a high level, like you can't do anything but give Deion credit at that point for, for what he's done in the, in the athletes he's brought in. Like, I know I'm a Nebraska fan. I'm supposed to hate Colorado. I'm indifferent to him. Don't give a fuck about that program. But I will give Deion credit. He's brought more eyes to that program than they've had in the last 10 years combined. Uh, and you know what? And I believe they got Cormani McLean, who is also the, the the number one cornerback in the next class, so 22 and 23. So could have a pair of lockdown corners on his hands there as well. And you know what? Um, I've, I haven't really gotten a taste of Travis Hunter. And I really – I saw a video on Twitter maybe a couple of days ago. He was – you know, he's live streaming himself, maybe playing Call of Duty. And I'm wondering if you saw this. He practically – he reacted to comments, I believe, from Dan Lanning. Um, I think Dan Lanning just got interviewed maybe practically the, the question was his concern or maybe his thought about Colorado. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah, Dan, I did. I, I seen Dan, Lanning's comment. 
And Lanning practically said, well, you know, long story short, they haven't done anything yet. So there shouldn't be a threat yet. There shouldn't be a fear yet. Absolutely. And someone's asking Travis Hunter this, you know, over his live stream, you know, and getting his, his response from it. And for a, uh, I don't know, a 19, 20 year old kid, mm-hmm. the maturity of his response practically coming back and saying, eh, you know what, that's fine. You know, he's, he's right. We haven't, we haven't done anything yet. We did, you know, we did win one game last year. Yeah. Like it's, um, you know, that's okay. We're gonna, we're gonna stay, stay to ourselves and keep doing what we're doing. And we'll let the outside noise be the outside noise. I was just extremely impressed by that reaction because I think it's, it would have been really easy to, to feed into that. Well, absolutely. And that's not what you're expecting because technically even playing video games or anything like that, it's social media at that point. And you're, or if you're streaming, it's social media, people are trying to get a reaction out of you. And for you to react as a pro like that, because that's a pro response, good for you. Like I, I, I got, I can't even hate on that. Like that's just, that's just someone being a, a, a bigger person. Like good on you, man. Uh, showing on the field. That's and that's, that's what and you know what? Uh, a comment like that now has me extra excited to watch what he does out there. It'd be it'd be nice to it'd be nice to see his his play match um, the greatness of his maturity and you know personality and all that yeah i mean i i could get care i i don't really care what colorado does this year i would like to see some of their players like like uh um, travis hunter do really well though because of instances like that and plus he's a tremendous athlete so uh it'll be fun to see the dion experiment go on this year but if 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 because i think they've had like 117 roster transactions since he's took over if this clicks and let's say they go to a bowl game because i would call that a tremendous success after winning one game last year if this clicks and colorado's a flip team and they go to a bowl is the transfer portal and hitting it completely flipping a roster now the way that you'll see coaches essentially go into rebuilds you know what um if you've ever seen moneyball I feel like uh, maybe in the opposite way, just it's a new, it's a new way, a new idea of building a roster and building a championship team. You know, before, before it worked with Billy Bean and the A's, man, those people thought he was insane. Oh yeah. And that you know, he had a movie, by the way, a fantastic movie and the amount of doubt he had. And I feel like it's, it's similar in that regard that if this works out, uh, a, a new blueprint might be on our hands and that, that can be kind of, that can be scary in this, yeah. new, this new era of college football. But, yeah. Between NIL and the transfer portal, I, you know, that's, that's the next wave. I mean, it's been here for quite some time now, but that's the wave that we've got to ride now. What's the next innovation? Don't know, but whoever can succeed at a high level in the transfer portal era and the NIL era, uh, I, I really do feel like you have to have both things running at a high level to be successful at either one of them. If, if you've, if you're lacking in either one, both will fail. No doubt. This is, it's the, it's the era of NIL, you know, and even I think there were programs in the beginning of, of NIL that almost maybe kind of raised their, you know, their, their chin at it kind of saying, you know, oh, we're, we're Alabama, we're Ohio state, we're Georgia. We don't need to, you know, kids will want to come play for us anyway. Yep. And, uh, um, you know what? You you see the the recruiting class that Texas A and M pulled in t- two years ago, and uh, maybe the money is a little more important to these kids. 
Yeah, uh, some kids I do I do believe will value the dollar more than anything, and that, that's why you see the number all over one or class go to Texas A and M, and I think twenty of them transferred out or something like that. A crazy amount of money, but Texas A and M has been made known to make dumb financial decisions. Jimbo Fisher, uh, it, Clemson's another one that doesn't dabble in the the transfer portal era. I'll, I think this will be a big year for them. I mean, if they flounder again and flounder, I would say would be a nine-win season for them. I feel like they have to start con- at least considering it. I think they've only taken two people in, or two players from the transfer portal, and I believe they were both backup quarterbacks. So I don't believe they dabble very much either. But and they're they're to, they're another program, man. They're a, they're a homegrown program. Dabble likes it that way. Yep, it makes um, sense you know, though. And there's nothing wrong with that because look at look at their track record, man. Mm-hmm. I know, can't argue with a guy who's got national championships. No, you can't. And, and even even recency bias, like these offseason, you know, top coaching lists and whatever. I'm seeing I'm seeing Jimmy over Dabo, and I'm like, yeah. come on, man. Yeah, I, uh, I I've been bullish on Dabo, but I still have Dabo as a top probably top three top at worst top four coach uh coaching right now it, i i just my my variance is on on who's your one and two but other than that i think your three is what it is maybe there's an argument on four but i mean then yeah. the rest of the list is all up to you yep pretty much at that point so i think uh, dude i think i think clemson's gonna be good man i think they have the best pair of linebackers in the country uh, yep. stud. dude they're both you know, day one, day two type draft talents, man. Oh, absolutely. Like, I think a lot of it just comes down. Does that offense click this year? Because defensively, that'll be a top 10 unit. Can that offense click under Riley? And I, if, if so, they're, they're a playoff team this year again. It's another year for club, Nick. That was their, you know, that was their five-star gem a couple uh, classes ago. Talented. Extremely good. And you know what? Uh, that was probably the best choice for them last year was going with him over DJ. Oh, absolutely. Get him reps, get him in games. Yep. And I even got to say too, what, what is, what I do love about the portal is when you have situations like this, you know, you have QB battles or, you know, wide receiver battles, like even um, Jamison Williams, like you have, you have these players that end up not playing at these premier programs and they come out of high school as a, as a blue chip prospect. And you know what? then they end up at the Oregon States of the world. Yep. They end up at the NC States of the world, you know, and it's good for college football. I agree. I mean, that I think that's where you're starting to see that talent because you know the premier programs, everybody wants to play at your Alabamas, your Ohio States, your, your Texases. But then once you see that talent start to kind of, you know, deviate out a little bit or it, it does help all the programs. So I think that is a huge benefit to the transfer portal. And, and that's that's why it's, it's 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 great for college football. It's a pain in the ass, but it's great for college football at the same time. And not necessarily uh, transfer portal, but Jaden Rashada with Arizona State the other night, man. Holy cow. Yeah. What what a what a great pickup late in the uh after the decommitment from Florida for Rashada to Arizona State, I think he went what twelve for sixteen and a couple tutties. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he threw two. He was, but you know, clean in the pocket. Dude's just a absolute gunslinger, man. Just true, really true impressive. Freshman. True freshman. Watching that kid throw the ball. Well, th- there's obviously no quarterback controversy in Arizona State, but there is one for another team. And it may be a team that our guest is an expert on. 
Let's talk a little Ohio State versus Indiana. How about that? Dude, uh, you know what? I, I can't wait for Indiana on the first drive to get their first down today and watch the app just totally <laughs> melt down. Oh, God. It's going to be hilarious to watch it because you know it's coming. We're, we're already prepared. We've, we've, you know, we've got the, hey, call me. Everything is good. R-E-L-A-X. We've got the tweet. Yeah. Ready to go already. And you know what? It's all because we're just a passionate bunch. But I think, um, you know, Kyle McCord's going to get the start today. Really excited to, you know, see him in that offense. I think the weapons that he supported with is going to give him all the tools to be successful. And I think any Ohio State fan that's, you know, choosing one or the other in these, you know, QB debates right now, we just want to see the – our guy do well. We want to, you know, and I think everyone can, you know, agree with that. And I think it's, it's a, it's a weird thing at Ohio state over the last, you know, compared to the last couple of years to have a QB battle really go into the season, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think this is the best QB battle you can have. Yeah. You know, you've got two top 300 players i believe, uh, i think mccord was 31st overall and brown was 81st yes uh, so both top tier guys depends what side uh, you look at yep yep pretty much depends where you're going but either way four and five star extremely right. talented throwers of the ball um you know you, you you have everything you need at wide receiver at running back as long as travion uh henderson's healthy and mayan williams are, are both good that's i think that's a super underrated backfield by the way um, it is. And you know what? As a as an Ohio State fan, seeing all the talk about Penn State's backfield and Michigan's backfield and this team's backfield, I'm just laying low in the weeds, man, because I think every every Buckeye fan, we know what we have in the backfield. They were injury riddled last season. Yep. We're playing our, you know, our RB3, RB4 against Georgia in the Peach Bowl, you know, and it sounds it sounds like an excuse. But everyone needs their horses, man. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, when you when you lose a, a, a talent like Travion Henderson, that that's a huge loss. I mean, we all seen what he did his freshman year. You know, he's dinged up last year, and you know, you have a guy like Mayan Williams who was able to step in, and and that guy's a fucking thumper. Like, good luck stopping him. It's I don't a great know what one-two punch, man. But holy shit, I would hate to try and stop him. It's uh. <laughs> Dude, between you know, you have you have Chip Trainum, you have Evan Pryor, you have Dallin Hayden. You do like the running back room is deep, and I think that's something you know. Everyone talks about the wide receiver room, man. The running back room is pretty special too, and I'm I'm really excited to see if, you know, hopefully a, a a full season of health for those two running backs because we were missing them last year. Oh, absolutely, and I, I would assume you know with uh, Mayan Williams having that that kind of breakout season we'll call it it should alleviate a lot of the pressure on the legs of Henderson because now you know you've got a two horse race and if you need you've got a three and a four and a five uh which is great for your quarterback situation it should take a lot of pressure off of off of you know McCord who is getting the start today are you expecting uh Brown is going to get some play time from from what I've heard correct yes Okay. Yes. Um, are you expecting this to go beyond game one? I know you've got you've really got to get it figured out by game four, which is Notre Dame. Notre Dame. That's um, and I think Ryan Day knows that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, knows. that's that's the day you've got to have it figured out by is Notre Dame. As you know, long as you first three are what they are. 
uh, you'll out-talent them by leaps and bounds. But do you think it's game one, or do you think it goes all the way to game three? I think, uh, you know, their both of their performances, you know, tonight mm-hmm. is going to be extremely telling. And, you know, I think what would be our – our luck is both guys come in, throw maybe 175 each and two, three touchdowns, and we're, we're still in the same boat that we are in right now. That's honestly what I'm expecting. Is it's, and it's going to um, be a dead heat race. It's going to be. And at the same time, uh, you know, it's, it's really how you look at it. You know, there's the people out there that say, well, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have none. Or it's Those like, people don't have two quarter. Those you know, people don't have a quarterback. <laughs> you have you have two guys right now that, you know, they know the system. They're they're talented. They have really really good weapons around them to to be successful. And I, I think a, a lot of the debate, especially among Ohio State fans, this off season too, has been kind of the differences in athleticism and the the play styles between Brown and McCord. You know, McCord being a little bit known to be a pocket passer and more of a gunslinger, where Devin Brown is a little bit more athletic. You know, uh, athletic can move around, um, can kind of make those those extended plays. And I think a lot of people, you know, that's the outside noise. The people on the inside are actually saying they're a lot more similar than we think. Yeah, there there never seemed to be that big of a jump, uh, like skill set wise. Like I feel like both guys can do relatively similar things. Although uh, one thing I've heard is Devin Brown seems to have the higher highs and the lower lows during practice. You know, with the bigger plays, McCord being a little bit more consistent. But take that for what it is. They're both still making plays during practice. I mean, it's it, it's a dead heat coming out of out of fall. It's a dead heat going into game one. I think it will be going all the way up to game four at this point. And it could, and it, you know, again, it's all based off performance. I'm hoping they both do well. If, you know, McCord kind of struggles, Brown comes in and lights it up, you know, the fan base is going to be an uproar mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe, yeah, maybe even vice versa, maybe even vice versa. But, you know, it's nice that we kind of have a three week tune up and to really, you know, see some live football, see some film, you know, on tape and really break down like, all right, you know, who's our guy? Because, dude, I'm telling you, man, I'm sure you watched that Notre Dame Navy game. Oh, loved every uh, second of it because it was it was great football, but nonetheless. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> even considering, you know, who who they were playing, Notre Dame looked, looked good, man. And, you know, uh, even they were they were playing in some some wet elements. You could see Hartman was having a little little trouble throwing the ball. Hartman um, was sharp, though. Very sharp. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, anyone that's watched Hartman at Wake Forest these last, 11 years knows that he can throw the football. Well, and that was the thing people, I, I, I put some that Sam Hartman was pretty good. And then against Navy. Okay. It is what it is. Most people don't complete 16 for 20 against air. So for them to do that against another division one program, it's impressive. Nonetheless, he is literally doing what he did for multiple years at wakes or at wake forest. It's not new. So quarterback play there is tremendous. I think one of the, one of the crazy thing is, um, at multiple premier programs around the country, you do have like a three quarterback battle right now. Ohio State, you've got it at Georgia. You've still got it at Alabama, even though a start has been named. But it's a brand new starter that doesn't have firm entrenchment. You could see that backup still the, still the job at any of these programs. I think that's the major thing that they've all got as a question mark going in right now is who is going to be that guy. 
Oh, no doubt. And you know what? Even even Alabama and Georgia, just the the talent composite level, you know, around that offense. Like you even look at Alabama, dude. That offensive line is monstrous. Oh my God. It's monstrous. They're gonna they're gonna hurt people this year. They are going to bulldoze people. You know, like almost to the point where I'm pretty confident you or you or I could sit back there in that pocket and deliver footballs. Yeah, I'm good with that. I'll take that walk on scholarship anytime. You know, <laughs> but dude, that that those SEC, you know, big men, defensive and offensive, are are just different, man. Even even LSU, what a, what a week one game we have on our hands oh with that. God. I'm so excited for that game. Oh uh, my god. And that's that because that's tomorrow night, I believe. That's Sunday night, correct? Yep. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited for that. That's Chip Kelly. I mean, not Chip Kelly. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Brian Kelly, Brian <laughs> Kelly. There we go. I, there we go. I, I, I really want to see what he does at year two at LSU. I I thought that last year when he transferred, when he went down there and took that job, I said it was a huge mistake. I had to eat my words because I was wrong there. Um, I was shocked at what he did year one at LSU, especially with Jaden Daniels. And you know what? I wasn't a I wasn't a BK believer either, but he's he's doing it. And everything that he kind of uh, preached, uh, you know, we all kind of poked fun and laughed at. But he's doing it. You know that that front four for them defensively, probably you 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 can make an argument it's amongst the best in the country. Uh, country. Oh yeah, Harold Perkins Jr. is a is a absolute specimen that that was created in a lab somewhere. The the only big thing that that Florida or uh, LSU really it's going to hurt him this week is Mason Smith is gone. As they're out him, yeah. Yep, yep. Unfortunately, he'll be gone for week one. Uh, and and the situation uh, it was explained on uh, Josh oh, late kick with Josh Pate. He explained it really well on on how the situation broke down. Essentially. Uh, suspension for one game and, and bullshit that it have to be week one for Florida state, but that that'll be the biggest loss. And I, I want to see if Florida state can capitalize by running the game or running the ball um, against, against that front four. I don't know if they'll be it's, able to still, but. Be and, a, and, even, now. and even another player that I'm definitely putting under my radar is newly acquired wide receiver for the Seminoles, Keon Coleman from Michigan state. Ooh, yeah. Huge, huge jump ball uh, guy. I think, you know, I think Jordan Travis is a talent. Um, I think I'm not totally uh, buying as much Florida State stock this year, maybe as others, but Jordan Travis is a talent and you just got him a premier wide receiver one. Anyone that's, you know, any Big Ten fan that's watched Michigan State over these last two years, Keon Coleman's a dog. Oh, and absolutely. You, you could ask any Spartan fan that transfer, you know, compared to Thorne, that was the one that hurt. Yeah, I was shocked it happened so late in the uh, so late in the year as well. But you know that that was a tr- huge loss for Michigan State. Still won last night against uh, Central Michigan, I believe. Um, but you know, get, you give Travis or yeah, you give uh, yeah, Travis that that number two or number one. It depends on what you look at at at, at the wide receiver court like. But he's got a firm number two receivers there. Good running game. Can Norvell get over the hump? They, they got to 10 wins last year, I believe. Can they get over the hump? Because to me, this is their best shot to have a playoff team. And you know what? Um, even on the recruiting front, Florida State is recruiting like a big boy program right now. And it's, um, you know, it almost makes you think, 
Is there pressure this year? I mean, and you could say this for quite a few countries with some blue chip prospects locked up, but you need to you need to put some wins on paper, or else you know the the KJ Boldens of the world, the Charles Lester's of the world. You know, like these highly rated guys. Hmm. Maybe. Hmm. Georgia. Georgia's in the playoff again. Yep. Ohio. Wrong decision. You know, and you have this is really where you know Norvell has to put his best foot forward here. Yeah, that's this is where. Like you said, you put your big boy pants on, and if you show you can be a playoff contender or get to the playoff this year, win the ACC, uh, these are big boy moves that cement you at at the top echelon as a coach. And if you want these these guys that you just mentioned, these five stars every year, then then you've got to produce at this point. That's where Norvell is. I I thought uh, Norvell would have bottomed out sooner than he has. He's on an upward trajectory. But if he flounders this year, I, there's no excuse. You've got all the pieces. It's it's pretty interesting the 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 current rebuild that all three of those major Florida schools are going through right now. You know, you have you have Mario Cristobal. You know, kind of after a little bit of a disappointing, oh, you know, first year with the Hurricanes, and there, you know, Miami's another one. You know, recruiting recruiting pretty well right now, not to the level of Florida state, but you know, I mean, Cristobal is always known to pull in recruits like that, even in his time in Oregon, but it's, um, it's interesting. And let me even ask you going back to Keon Coleman, there was a, a video that circulated probably a few months ago during the, during the, during the heavy storm of the off season. And he almost admitted to his plan, I guess, coming out of high school, I guess for, you know, him, I guess he wasn't really fully, heavily recruited goes to Michigan state with the intent of transferring out. And my thing is, do you think that really exists a lot of, in a lot of other minds of these athletes? That's a good question. Um, You know, using, using these schools as like a stepping stone almost, you know, it's something similar did happen. I, I, I I don't feel like it was used as a stepping stone, but to a degree it was uh, with Ernest Hausman at Nebraska. Uh, Ernest Hausman was uh, a guy that I believe always wanted to go to Michigan. Um, And, you know, he was, I don't believe he was offered because it was during the COVID season. So they weren't able to get on, on campus or something like that. Right. Uh, So he ended up coming to Nebraska, committing to Nebraska, got some great film, uh, got a lot of reps, got great tape, went in the transfer portal, ended up transferring to Michigan. I think he's going to be a starting linebacker for them. But that was a great pickup for them this year, this this offseason. Oh, absolutely. Uh, really... I think that's going to be one of those underrated pickups that you don't see it, but he's making plays for them all over the field just because of he's a he's an athletic freak. Um coming out of Nebraska too, but uh he, he that's kind of how I compared would compare the situation is he needed to get some good film. He got film, he was able to get to his dream school. It does happen. I don't think it, it happens as often as as, as, as we think, but I right. do definitely think it's out there. Um, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's one thing for that to be a thought, but then to, you know, actually hear the athlete openly admit that, you know, and you, you see the, it, it's crazy, <laughs> you know, cause it really starts, you know, making, making you wonder like, you know, how, how real is that in the other minds, you know, of these kids? It's interesting. Well, well but that, I think yeah. It would have to make me wonder as a teammate, though, as well, how committed are you? If you've already got essentially one foot out the door, 
are you committed? Okay, so it's fourth quarter. We've got 30 seconds down, or we've got 30 seconds left. We're on the 10-yard line. We've got to make this play. Are you committed, or you got one foot out the door? That's kind of where my mind also goes. And especially nowadays, just, you know, uh, the, the emphasis on the portal, and I think the, the way that these athletes navigate in the portal, mm-hmm. it's hard keeping a roster together. Oh, absolutely. That's it's hard. That's one of the harder things that you almost have to keep re-recruiting your roster as a head coach. But winning also re-recruits your roster yearly. And it also, you know, it kind of goes even hand in hand with recruiting. These, you know, compared to us Big Ten teams, man, you know, on the yearly basis, maybe Big Ten teams are pulling in an average of maybe 21, 22 commits. The SEC teams are pulling in like upwards of 28, 29. There's, you know, there's it's definitely an overflow every year. There is like there is no fear of transferring out and over recruiting, mm-hmm. and you know it, they're just like you know what we'll bring in everyone, and let the best man win. Yeah, and and that's how you have to do it uh, in the days, and and it's a shitty way to do it, but it it is a way to do it. It's it's proven it does work. Bring as many guys as you can in. Let it solve itself. The, the Getting guys on the field, the play will solve itself at the end of the day. You'll have the best 11 or best 22 on the field, and it is what it is. And, yeah, there's going to be hurt feelings, but we're talking about a billion-dollar industry now. We're not talking about Little League football anymore. No such thing as feelings. No, not, 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 not at the level that we're talking about, unfortunately. You can't get in your feelers, and people do, unfortunately. Uh, Fett, are there any other games – that are catching your eye this weekend. Cause I got one more and I don't know if they're, I don't know if it's on your radar, but Washington and Boise. How could you not? It's, it's that a high, that high powered Husky offense is dude, the pac 12 has some really good QB play this year. And just some really good offensive talent. It's going to be honestly for a conference that's ending. It's going to be pretty talented this year. Yeah. I think it's the best collection of quarterbacks, probably top five quarterbacks. I, I think they're all pac 12 guys. You've got, uh, in no particular order, you've got uh, Bo Nix, Phoenix Jr., uh, Caleb Williams, obviously. Uh, I know you've got at UCLA, Garber's starting there kind of surprised me. But I, You know what? I'm surprised with that, too. And even if, you know, if you've been scrolling Twitter over the past couple of weeks, a rumor came out that, you know, Dante Moore was unhappy with his NIL deal at UCLA and was oh, looking yeah, to transfer out. I popped on that one. I was like, you know what? what? You, you know, <laughs> you know the you know the water's getting hot when the kid himself has to go on Twitter and tweet out, "No, rumors aren't true." Yeah, that that's that's wild. When that's the point we get to, where it's when Dante Moore has to step out and be like, "Yeah, no, it's just not true, guys." But yeah, I, w- I was surprised Garbers beat him out, considering there was a lot of traction of of Moore being the starter. I don't think Garbers will be the starter all season. I I think. More will eventually take over, but I agree. Um, and then on uh, the crazy thing about Utah, I don't know if uh, third string and second string quarterback rising still out with the with the knee injury. Uh, you know, dude, Barnes can, played his ass off the other night, man. Yeah, uh, they, that's a so they also have polar opposites of quarterback. They've got a guy that can sling it, and they've got a guy that's just got some goddamn wheels on him, and they're able to run that two quarterback system. Now, once they get rising back. It, it'll be interesting to see how that how he bounces back in action. It's hard to come back from a knee injury like he's coming back from that quickly. 
and he's a baller, man. I mean, oh, people, for, pe- people forget the amount of USC talk that there is. People forget that Utah beat him twice last year. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, they just, They're, you know, you know, the way people talk about USC, Utah is the two time, you know, back to back defending Pac 12 champion right now. And I, I always forget that. And I, I feel always like, forget that. You know, and every offseason, they just, they go under the radar. They don't care. They'll quietly win 10 games and then beat you in the Rose Bowl. You know, it's, I mean, it's, that's, you know, every year it's like clockwork. You can almost just say, Yep, I'll get my tickets to go to the Rose Bowl this this year and next year and the year after if you're Utah. It's it's kind of wild how consistent they are, but testament to uh, Whittingham and what he's built up there. I, I'm wondering if, uh, number one, I'm wondering how long DeBoer is at Washington. I could consider Washington to be a destination job for a lot of people. No Especially doubt. out there in the Big Ten. Uh, you get Michael Penix Jr. back for another season. Could I convince you, and I've got a few points, could I convince you that uh, you see, or, uh, Washington's ripe for an upset? I, I, don't think I don't think it's I don't think it's off the table. Okay, so let me see if I can convince you a little bit more with three points. Okay, number one. So their Boise's coming off a 10-win season, and they've got a quarterback who is returning. So he's a returning uh, starter from last year, completed 61.3% of his passes, and they returned both running backs, uh, starting running backs from last year. So they combined for 2,500 yards rushing between the three. So that's point one. Point two, they got their three starting receivers coming back from last year. And my last point, they went eight and two to finish the season with the starting quarterback that it will be starting this game. Did I do anything to convince you that Boise will win this game? What I what you did convince me is that this game's going to be an effing shootout, dude. Absolutely, thank the you. Game's yes, gonna be, did, my, did my job at least. <laughs> the game's going to be an absolute shootout because you know it doesn't even need to be talked about between you know you have Michael Penix, those two receivers between McMillan and uh, Odunze, just crazy, crazy. Why you know the passing game that Washington has over there, mm-hmm. they could be a threat, man. Oh, they could absolutely. be. It could be good. And I'm really excited to, you know, as an Ohio State fan that's, you know, uh, so accustomed to really good wide receiver play, I'm ex- extremely excited to watch those two really go to work. Yeah, that, that's it's going to be fun to watch. We're, there's going to be a ton of great wide receiver play all over the board today, uh, especially in that game. Uh, it, it's going to be fun. The one thing that Washington does have going against them is they lost their starting running back who put up 13 touchdowns last season. So it's going to be interesting to see how they go to work in the running game. But as far as a passing game goes, I mean, I feel like we could see damn near 800, 900 yards passing in this game with, with what Washington did last year and what Boise could do. Don't, don't turn away from your TV because it's going to be a lot of quick strike offense. I, I I don't know what the over under is on that. I'd love to check that. And this is, this is kind of an open year in terms of, you know, there's a, other than Caleb, there's a lot of other quarterbacks that are getting some love and some hype, but not nearly to the level of quarterback play that we've seen around the country over, you know, recent years. And I'm, I'm excited for, you know, other, you know, everyone other than Caleb, the Drake Mays, the Michael Penix, the Bo Nix, even, even like Quinn Ewers down at Texas. Uh, like I'm excited for those quarterbacks to really start to rank themselves from two and beyond. You know, because once the NFL draft comes around, I think this is the first time going into a college football season 
where I don't really, you know, comes next year. Like if, if you're an NFL team looking for a quarterback, like there's a lot of, Ooh, that's interesting. Ooh, he looks good, Big but you need, you, need, you need to see more. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You've got, like you said, Williams may, I mean, you're, if you need a quarterback next year in the draft, you've got a lot of options. Depends what you want to build with. Exactly. You've got a lot of guys there, which makes sense why the Cardinals are already tanking and they're blatantly tanking at this point. Crazy what they've – I think they got three trades done in a matter of 12 hours the uh, other day. Yeah, and and then – well, the good thing is, you know, they're going to tank even more because Kyler Murray is going to have the new Call of Duty coming out, which comes out in November. So they don't have to worry about a playoff run or anything like that. So Ain't no time for film. Hey, no time for film when you got that much Call of Duty to play. Uh, Fett, I have a – so what's what's your prediction for the game today? What's, what's score? Ohio State and Indiana. I'm going to take the Buckeyes. I'm going to take the score of 48 to 24. 48, 24. Okay. Uh, how bad is Twitter meltdown when when uh, Indiana scores that many points? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not ready for it, man. <laughs> and I'm I'm being I'm being uh, <laughs> I'm being hesitant because. I really think this. I think we should. There's a. There's no reason why we shouldn't hold Indiana under ten points today. Frankly, I'm. Uh, I'm also throwing in. I think a lot of guys defensively, new faces, guys like you know C.J. Hicks. Um, there's guys that today that are going to get a lot of work. Yeah, which, which is which is going to be great for your depth down the line. Honestly, I feel like if you if you get through the first half, and it's let's say twenty four three, as long as Indiana doesn't score more than seven to 10 points in the first half, my concern level is very low. Now let's say they put up 21 in the first half. My concern level is pretty goddamn high. You know, and all I can think about is CJ Stroud's first start two years ago at Minnesota, and we were losing at halftime. And all I could remember was Twitter was ripping, you know, we, we need to see McCord, you know, Stroud's not it. And all of a sudden, two years later, Stroud goes number two in the draft. So for all for all my Buckeye fans out there, man, be patient today. That's all I'm telling you. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that going on. And even I, as a Husker fan, was like, "Is are we hating C.J. Stroud now? Because I'm pretty sure that's one of the most talented guys they've got on roster, regardless of position. So let's, let's simmer down there because I know as a Nebraska fan, I would have loved it if he would have came to Nebraska. And you know what? Yeah, right. And even, uh, you know, from the moment he took his first snap all the way to the moment that he got drafted, he's just been disrespected. And uh, I'm for that alone, even, you know, taking my my Buckeye hat and jersey off. I'm I'm rooting for him. You know, he's kid just stays true to himself. I think I think the Texans could really uh, rebuild something over there. I already like his core. His, his offensive weapons better than even like Justin Fields or, you know, Dwayne Haskins started out with. But um, I think CJ's going to be great, man. But it's it's crazy the level of disrespect that he's he's faced really his his entire Ohio State career as a starter. Oh, yeah. It seems like people have really talked down on his play regardless of the amazing stats he's put up and the positions he's put the, the team in and the amount of wins that he's had, let's be honest. And he was a top three draft pick in the NFL draft too. So uh, yeah, he's, he was freakishly talented. And I just, I, I think uh, as a team, sometimes you get spoiled by quarterback play so good that 
when it doesn't necessarily meet what you've seen previously, it's it's a step back, even though it's not. Uh, from from what I've seen from the Buckeye quarterback play, absolutely no step back from Fields to uh, Stroud at all. But maybe through someone else's eyes, it was. I I don't know. It's been it's uh they were different, and I think uh, every Ohio State fan would uh would tell you. I mean, every college football fan that's that's watched them nationally would tell you that. But for I think. Based off of Day's track record at the position alone, you have to be confident with whoever is getting the nod at you know quarterback tonight, or really even just going forward. He's 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 earned our trust. Yeah, and I think the game plan should just be throw it to Marvin every every down, every time. And you know what? And if Marv's not there, throw it to the second best wide receiver in college football. Which the crazy thing is you might have the top three wide receivers in college football, one, two, three, and they're all Buckeyes. How do you think, uh, how do you think, uh, so Hartline will be uh, offense coordinator for the first game today. Not doing so much of his of play calling duties. Um, do you think that switches as the year goes on with him kind of growing into the position? I think, I think day is just a natural play caller. I think he, he's an offensive mind and he prides himself on it. And even if you look at Ohio state's, you know, points per game over the last, you know, since he's been here, they're averaging like upwards of 45 points a game a season, which is really incredible. Um, I think Hartline actually has it kind of nice for him right now, because I don't think he's going to be asked anything really more of him right now. Mm -hmm. He's earning a he's earning a nicer paycheck than he was as a wide receivers coach, but Absolutely. I don't think I think you know the the parachute of Ryan Day um, as an offensive mind is a probably a pretty securing thing for him right now, and it kind of allows him to you know even in a new position with you know more responsibility and um, more put more to be put into it, he can still do his thing. And Absolutely, I think it's the best way you know best way for him to go about it. I think even, you know, when everything was going down with Northwestern, Brian Hartline, you know, on the, on the Twitter timeline, I, I felt like every tweet I saw was either Sharon Moore from Michigan or Hartline as I'm like, Hartline's never coordinated a game before. It's, it's, it's really hard to make that jump from it's, a wide receiver and, coach to a CEO. Yeah, and that's, a, and that's not even me saying, you know, he, he can't do it. And I, I do expect him to be a head coach in the near future. Unfortunately, we're going to, we're going to lose him to a program that's going to want to pay him money, you know, big money, Yep. but he's, he's got, he's got it laid out for him perfectly right now. He does. I mean, it's a tremendously talented staff that that uh, Ryan Day has. And, yeah, he gets to grow into the position as the year goes. And, you know, maybe down the line, it, it's just great to have on your resume that you were an offensive coordinator, regardless of what you're doing. Now, I think he is a little bit more involved in the game planning now than previous. But sure. um, with what he is able to do with that wide receiver room, why would you take him away from doing what he does best? The the beautiful thing is he got rewarded for the, the work put in. Um, rewarded and you know i i would be shocked if he's not a head coach within two years and it's it's crazy because you know at these at these big programs you know saban's been doing it for years just flipping his coaching staff even kirby starting to experience that now um you it's constant it's the constant overturn that i think makes a program really it, it tells you how strong they are when they can, when they can kind of even flip a coaching staff, 
and the consistency is still there. I think there's there's quite a, a few coaches. I think if Ohio State has the season that they really could this this year, there's quite a few coaches. Justin Fry, the offensive line coach, came from UCLA uh, two years ago, and he's he you know before he was in the conversation for the open offensive coordinator job when they ultimately picked Hartline. But Justin Fry is a great recruiter, great coach, great offensive mind. He's another one that I actually would keep my eye on in terms of a potential coaching job, maybe even at a smaller, you know, um, like a smaller level D1 school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the group of five. Great. Yeah, I mean, it's a great way to do it. I, I, offensive line, line coaches and special team coaches have a specific knack for making good head coaches because of all the crossover that they have with every other part of the team. So they seem to make better head coaches than other position groups, if you will. No doubt. So, uh, Fett, we, we got anything else, brother? Nothing, we, man. I I'm tackled everything. Dude, I can't wait to sit on the couch and watch this slate of games all day long. Well, let's get to that. It's about 10 15. So let's catch the end of college game day. Let's catch the rest of the, or let's catch the start of the games for the day. Brother, I appreciate you for uh, joining, taking the time today and talking some football with me, man. Thanks for having me on the show, brother. Always, uh, always a great time chopping it up with you. Hell yeah. We're going to have to do this again here soon. Um, but for Church of the Corn, for Fets, thanks for joining us here today, everybody. Here, uh, we'll talk to you later. Enjoy the slate of college football, and we will talk to you later. Members of the congregation, let's raise our Kool-Aid-filled glasses and drink to all the things that were, are, and forever will be Nebraska Cornhuskers. Go Big Red.